But we're not doing a Keep Christianity Weird sermon today. Um, this one's a different one. It was laid on my heart. There's a woman named Tracy McMillan. She's on some reality show, too. Does anybody know what reality show she's on? No, nobody recognizes her. Okay. I, could, I didn't write it down, and I thought I would just remember it. But Tracy McMillan, who has written episodes for Mad Men, Life on Mars, and other television shows, she grew up in a drug-dealing family. Um, her dad was a pimp named Freddie. That's, if you're going to be a pimp, that's a good name. And Freddie was a convicted felon. He spent most of Tracy's childhood behind bars, and Tracy's mom was really no better. She was a prostitute who eventually gave Tracy away. But Tracy made something of herself despite those circumstances. In an article that she wrote called Seven Tips for Moving Past a Rotten Childhood, Tracy McMillan wrote this. She said, there are two ways for me to look at my childhood story. In one, I'm a person who is so unloved and unwanted, my own mother gave me away. In the other, I was born, took a look around at my prostitute mother and criminal father and said to myself, I can totally do better than this. Get your stuff, we're leaving. In one, I'm a victim. In the other, I'm empowered. Guess which viewpoint got me the career I have today? And it's not about where we come from. It's always about where we're going. And maybe you had a bad childhood. Maybe your parents were hostile to you, maybe abusive. Maybe you were neglected in some ways. For everyone who lets their past dictate their life, you can also find those who let that past make them better. We have those people here who have had tough past, and some of you are overcoming it in amazing ways. While others then, I don't know, I don't know anyone here, but others take, use their past as a crutch. There are those that just let their past shape them into something worse. But it's always better, I think, to let our past shape us into something greater than we would have ever been without those experiences. Most of us have had bad events in our past, whether it was in childhood or some other event. But they're there, and we can't ignore them, although maybe at times we would like to. And But from time to time, those bad memories, they creep up their head, and they try to destroy us. Guilt from a past that we can't change, no matter how much we want. And that isn't to say, though, there's two types of guilts, I think. There's the one guilt from the past that we had no control over, but then there's actually a healthy guilt where we're getting a corrective guilt from the Holy Spirit to actually change something in our life. So don't ignore that corrective guilt. But when the guilt from a past that you can't change anything of rears up, fight that thing, get rid of that thing. Those memories are just trying to attempt to bring us down and to focus on pain and mistakes of the past rather than the plan that God is calling us to. Because God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And it is beyond anything that has happened in our past. Because it's not about where we came from, it's about where we're going. The past is useful and it instructs us if we allow it to. It shows us how we arrived where we are at. If we allow ourselves to look at our past without prejudice, we will then discover the mistakes that we have made that have distracted us from being who we could be. Mistakes we should learn not to repeat. And we'll see great things in our past that have freed us from sin, depression, and or hopelessness. Great things we should turn into regular practices, maybe in our lives. And we'll also see things that we have no understanding on why they even happened, why God allowed them. But we just need to hand those things over to God. It's only through 
looking at what we have learned in the past and through the Holy Spirit guiding us in that process, that we will learn to know where to head in the future. So where are you headed? Are you headed backwards? Or are you headed into that beautiful future that God has planned for you? Proverbs says this, The heart of man plans his own way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God's steps. And that's what we'll seek here today as we begin to unravel who we are here at Riverside, where did we come from, and when we look at that, hopefully we'll discover what we're supposed to pursue and where we're heading. Because as a church, we have a spiritual heritage. We are part of a movement whose guiding principles, I believe, are just as invigorating today as they were when they were revolutionizing the church landscape in America. But remember, the question isn't where we came from, it's where we're going. So when we talk about this, let's view it in that thought. And with that note, we are going to talk about where our church came from in order to help us discern where we're going. Our church springs from a movement that has many traits that I really like, but it also has a few nasty ones. At times, people in our movement have strayed from one of our founding slogans, which you see up there on the screen. We are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. I'll get to where that came from here in a second, but I remember when I first came here almost 10 years ago, I asked permission from the leadership to be part of the ministerial team in town. Like the ministers get together and we plan things like that Thanksgiving community service that you saw announced here. And I was told by one of the leaders who is no longer in this church, he's been gone a while. Um, he told me, you can be involved in that ministerial association, but you have to try and convert those pastors to Jesus. As if the pastors in town weren't Christian. I told them, I think they're already Christian and they don't need converted, but I'd like to work together with them anyway. And so, but there's this problem sometimes that our movement has had in becoming, we have turned being non-denominational into being anti-denominational. And one thing I realized when I thought about our church is how we have people from the, our church here specifically, we have people from all across the denominational spectrum. And I love that. Whether your background is United Church of Christ or Lutheran or Catholic or Methodist, Nazarene, Assembly of God, or even from our movement itself, we kind of have all these people, even in our small body here, working together. I think, you know, when you read a lot of church stuff, they want diversity in church. And, and, and usually they just mean that it means that you have some black people along with white people in the church. Um, but I think we are a diverse church in that we come from a multitude of different backgrounds and we're learning how to be a healthy church together with all those different expressions of the faith intermingling. We here at Riverside and in the Christian church, though, we call ourselves Christians only. Like, you don't go around and say, well, we're part of the Independent Churches of Christ Christian Church. You probably didn't even know that phrase. So, and that's fine, but that's kind of what we're part of, but we're kind of non-denominational, and it's kind of a weird group that we are. Um, but when we say we are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only, we're not saying that those in the Nazarene Church or the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church aren't Christians. That's not what this phrase says at all. We just choose to identify ourselves as Christians only. In order to understand why this is important, though, we have to look back at the early 1800s when this phrase came about. The Restoration was birthed then, and what the Restoration Movement, which we're part of. What happened at that time was that groups of Christians started getting into trouble with their denominations for just living out the things they were seeing in the Bible. You know, one thing you have to understand about this period of time is 
There wasn't enough pastors in America, and the people in America were going west, and the frontier of America was a, like a wild west type, you know, the frontier of Kentucky and Ohio and Tennessee. That's where the frontier was at this time. And the, what they had, though, was these pastors would go around on a circuit, and so they would only visit a church like once a month or once a quarter, depending on the denomination. And so what happened, though, was these groups of Christians, and they didn't have a pastor for the other three weeks, they like wanted to start taking communion, even though there was no pastor there. And so they started taking communion. And the denomination didn't like that, because it should only be served by clergy. And what would happen also is some people would want to get baptized. Like they would hear the gospel, and their friend would share it with them or something, and they would want to get baptized. And so they would just say, well, let's go baptize them down in the river. And the the denomination would get upset at them because the clergy was supposed to be the only ones to baptize. And so our movement sprang out of these people rebelling against the denomination in that way, I guess. They were just taking communion and baptizing people and studying the Bible together without the clergy because the clergy wasn't there because it was the frontier. And so the founders of our movement started getting together with other people from other churches and began to do these practices forbidden by their denominational hierarchy. Yet practices that we can see clearly practiced in Scripture. So people would want to get baptized, and they would just baptize them. And people would want to take the Lord's Supper, and they would take the Lord's Supper. And, and this led to an unfortunate conflict in the churches. They were hoping to transition the denominations into alignment with Scripture, but eventually these people were ostracized and kicked out. So when Barton Stone then withdrew from the West Presbyterian Synod, to just follow the Bible as he and his fellow brothers and sisters and Jesus understood it, this is when he told his followers this phrase, we are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. And this was radical in that climate. Like you gotta kinda go into the time machine and put yourself in the middle 1800s because that's not radical today. But in the mid 1800s, the, the Baptists thought the Presbyterians were not right with God, and they should they could only be right with God if they became Baptists. And Presbyterians likewise thought the same thing about the Methodists. And everybody was thinking that their own particular persuasion of following Jesus was the right one, and everybody else that wasn't doing it that way were outside of God. And in that climate, Barton Stone said this phrase, which is acknowledging that there can be Christians in all of these different groups. And so he, would, he didn't want to be part of those schisms. They just wanted to follow the scripture and be Christians only. So this is part of our heritage that we should never lose. Unfortunately, that statement as time has been, I think, morphed into this thought. And we are the only Christians because we are Christians only. And that's a lot different than this one. But that is what we turn it into at times. So we kind of got to keep this one. Our founders obviously had problems with the denomination. And likewise, I was in a denomination for a little while, and I had problems too. But that experience, just as Stone pouring it out with his experience, does not mean that we are the only Christians, because we've decided to be locally led churches who try to faithfully live out our understanding of Scripture to the best of our abilities. It just means that we think not being part of a denomination allows us to more faithfully follow Scripture as we understand it and be flexible enough to reach the lost. So we are not part of a denomination here at Riverside, but that does not mean that we are the only Christians. It just means that we're Christians only. And this battle is one, I think, that has thankfully been won today. You know, this was a conviction of people in the mid-1800s, but I think if we look around the church landscape in 2018, 
this is not even a battle anymore. Barton Stone's radical statement from over 200 years ago would be met with a no-duh today. Denominations no longer believe that they're the only ones rightly following God and every other denomination is wrong. The victory over this teaching has been won. And this doesn't mean that it may not be necessary someday to visit this again and reimagine what it looks like in the context, but in these times today, the idea that one strain of Christianity is the only proper strain of Christianity is not a truth that we have to fight for. We know right now, I think we all know, right now as we are worshiping here today, here at Riverside, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who worship this morning at the Catholic Church. We have brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping right now at the Nazarene Church on the other side of town, or at the Lutheran Church, or at the Baptist Church, on and on. We don't sit here and think, well, we're the only Christians because we go to Riverside Christian Church. We're not divided from our brothers and sisters who just happen to meet in another local church with a different name on their building. Now, we do have different expressions of the faith, and I would love to see some miracle where we all merge, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But we really aren't divided spiritually. We, despite our differences, are brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we all know that. We are not the only Christians. We are just Christians only. We even have two denominational churches in this town who seem, at least according to their names, to want to hide that they're part of a denomination. Because being non-denominational is kind of the hot thing in America these days. Non-denominational churches are the fastest growing churches in America. And that is what we naturally are from our heritage. Our movement really did begin this non-denominational movement that we see flourishing in America today. Something was so radical back in the mid-1800s, but today it's now commonplace. Robert Goddard, the man who built the first liquid-fueled rocket, once said this, every vision is a joke until the first man accomplishes it. Once realized, it becomes commonplace. And non-denominational churches were ostracized and hated, but now they're just common. Or as the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer said, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it's violently opposed. And third, it is accepted as being self-evident. So one of the foundational battles of our movement to accept our brothers and sisters within other denominations as Christians has been won. I think we can say that that is something that was accomplished. What was once a ridiculed and heretical idea that people were kicked out of churches for is now accepted with a no duh. Yeah, that's right. But if denominations gained in power and prominence once again and started saying that other denominations weren't right with God and that sectarianism grew, we would have to be reminded of this teaching again that our movement springs out of. We are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. And we must always be aware that when we mess this saying up, bad things happen. Our movement that we are part of is called the Restoration Movement because it, it's at, at its core, tries to restore the early church practices and teachings. And all movements, if you look at all the churches kind of that we have today, seem to start with a similar story. They want to get back to the Bible, and they just want to be Christians and, and not have to follow these traditions that are constraining them. Even Martin Luther, this is a real picture of him. Martin Luther said, A simple layman, armed with Scripture, 
is greater than the mightiest pope without it. He wanted to get back to Scripture. Um, Sola Scriptura is a famous saying of the Protestant Reformation. And then there's John Wesley. He echoed the thoughts of our founders. He said, I am a member of the Church of England, but I love good men of every church. My ground is the Bible, yea, I am a Bible bigot. I follow it in all things, both great and small. And he kind of went the same way as our founders. He was eventually not part of the Church of England by the end and started the churches that we now know today. Well, they've had schisms, but the Methodist Church, the Nazarene Church, and the Wesleyan Church all spin out of John Wesley. But what we see, if you look at pretty much any church and its beginnings, whether it's more modern movements like the Vineyard Movement or anything of that sort. But they always have this desire to get back to the Bible and do what the Bible teaches. I was taught by my history professor in college a thought that I think really appears true. Most movements start well in the first generation. They plateau off during the second generation and start losing its principles during the third generation unless they continue to reinvent themselves and I think this is true not just in movements, but it's true in business and churches and in any organization I think we see. Over time, we have this tendency to forget the reason something was started and why it exists. We have to stay close to our roots, but how that looks through generations will change. But our roots, as any church that has flourished, I think, any church movement, our roots are in Scripture. We must never toss aside Scripture for the teachings of man. Scripture combined with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and always expressed through love is what makes us who we are. And this one gets us into trouble because traditions in the church and in our own lives seem to want to squelch out the teachings of Scripture at times. We want to start to read Scripture through the lenses of our traditions rather than allow Scripture to tear apart our traditions and restore us into what God wants us to be. A church, really, when we see the New Testament church, a church where God moved in tremendous ways. It was a church, there was a letter written in one of the churches in Revelation. It goes, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. If this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, who I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We like in the church in Ephesus, can forget our first love. We can get so focused on something that's besides our calling. We can get hung up on so many side issues that we forget to do the works we were excited to do when we first came to Jesus. But that, my friends, is a very dangerous place to be. Our movement believed that restoration of the early church principles would bring about unity. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And even in our movement, 
we've divided, like Wesley's movement has divided in the Nazarene Methodist Wesleyans. Our movement has divided. We don't have as cool of names, though. Our movement has divided into the non-instrumental Church of Christ, the independent churches of Christ, Christian churches, which we identify with, and the disciples of Christ. Pride about the truth brought about division among like-minded people. Arrogance over right doctrine on pet issues and disagreeing on what is essential brought about fragmentation. We began to say that we are the only Christians because we understand the truth in a way that they don't. So we have to be honest that something went terribly wrong in our movement. The Restoration Movement was trying to restore the early church and bring about unity amongst all the various churches. But something went wrong. And our past, at times, is like that tarnished past of Tracy McMillan, we talked about at the beginning, that she grew up in. And, but we must recognize that who we have been does not define who we should be. The good news is that we, in any area of our life, we are not defined by our past. Like, you can always strive to grow beyond your past and to God's glorious plan for your life. We can do that together as a church. And the source of this conflict in our church movement stems, I think, from us Although we want to follow Scripture, but we follow our traditions rather than Scripture itself. And we've detached love from truth. And we have really neglected being guided by the Holy Spirit. But if, on the other hand, we decide we're going to go back to our roots and pursue what they were originally pursuing, and we're going to let Scripture change us, and we're going to express that truth and love, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit guide us and how that lives it out in our lives together, that will change the world. That will change our community. That will change our church. That will change our lives. But it has to be us getting back to why this whole thing began in the first place. As noted in what we read in Revelation, the church in Ephesus there was known at one time for their works. They were known for their toil. They were known for their patient endurance. But what they were known for, he's saying, doesn't matter. What they had done in the past didn't matter. They were receiving a warning from God to get back to that which they once had. He wanted them to be who he made them to be, something they once were. It's not about where they came from or about what they had done, though. It's about where they were going. Are they going to be once again who God wanted them to be? And I had this picture of Spider-Man for an illustration. I must have deleted it. <laughs> and our church gets the same message. The same message that we see there in Revelation. We come from an awesome movement filled with some great trailblazers, bold people, amazing stories. We come with a lot of good principles that they've passed on to us, like the one we shared here today. We're not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. But sometimes these principles, and we're going to talk about another one next week, I believe, unless something happens in my head between now and then, um, we're, these Principles that are good guiding principles, we've twisted them and turned them into bad spiritually imprisoning things. Like when we take 
that phrase, we're not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. And all too often I've seen our movement say, we're the only Christians. But we have to recapture that zealousness that created a church that flourished. It's not about where we came from, though. It's about where we're going. And it's that way in your life, too. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. You probably have things you're ashamed of. I know I do. And you probably have things you're proud of. I have maybe a few. But God is in the changing business. He's not impressed by our past, and He's not going to not touch us because of our past. God says, I'm going to take you from where you are and bring you into this future I have planned for you. And if you had a zeal when you first decided to follow Jesus and you've let that zeal wane, which I see happen a lot, He wants you to stop making excuses. He wants you to stop living off the fumes of that past because when you live off the fumes, your car is going to die and be out of gas eventually. He wants you to be fueled up and empowered to go into the future He has planned for you. He doesn't care about whatever justifications you've come up with to avoid total commitment to making Him your Lord. He wants to just be your Lord once again. And unless we turn our back, or unless we turn back to, sorry, unless we turn back to being who God wants us to be, then I think that threat that He gave that church in Revelation stands for us too, where He threatens He'll remove His lampstand. But that's not for us. Our, our goal is to become who He wants us to be. Because to those who are faithful, as He also says in Revelation, to those who throw away all the excuses and all the justifications we give to not be faithful, to them He will grant the tree of life in the paradise of God. And I don't know if that's a tree that's just in some far off future. I think it's a tree, a tree we can taste now. Remember, though, it's never about where you came from. Our faults and our great deeds do not make us wrong or right in God. It's about where we're going. And we are at a point where we can choose to grow closer to God and be more who He wants us to be, both individually as in a church, or we can pull back. But I think we all know what God's plan is for us individually and as a church. It's to draw closer into Him. It's to remember that first love, whether it's the first love that we experienced when we became a Christian and we were passionate about God, or I I don't know what brought you here originally, but most of you weren't here nine years ago and you came to this church for some reason. Um, Whatever it is, we have to recapture that first thing and live passionately for God. Because our lives won't change, this world won't change, our community won't change unless we do that. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for all your blessings. And I just pray that you would help us to recapture that first love.